Hello and welcome to the Insurance Post podcast. I'm Scott McGee, news editor of Insurance Post, and as world leaders prepare for COP28, I'm joined by Flood Rees, Laura Evans, Lexus Nexus Risk Solutions, Heike Vasanto, and Woodgate and Clark's Glyn Brooks Humphrey to talk about how climate change is impacting insurance. Today on the Insurance Post podcast, I'm excited to have with me Laura Evans, Chief Actuary of Flood Re, Heike Vicento, Manager of GIS Data Science at LexisNexis Risk Solutions, and Glyn Brooks-Humphrey, Director of Regional Operations at Woodgate & Clark. As the 2023 United Nations Climate Change Conference, more commonly referred to as COP28, kicks off in Expo City Dubai on the 30th of November, my panel of guests are ready to tackle how climate change is impacting insurance. Hi, Laura, Heike, and Glyn. Welcome to the Insurance Post podcast. Good morning, Scott. Hey, Scott. Morning. Uh, so we'll kick off. Uh, Laura, what do record high temperatures in the summer and increased incidence of flooding in the winter mean for insured losses and managing surges in claims? Climate change is already happening and it's so important that we think about resilience for homes and particularly at Flood Re, one of the things that we focus on is what can we do to help households who are particularly at risk of flooding uh, to be more resilient to the increased amount of flooding that's happening in the UK. Um, so, I mean, one of the things that we've launched as an organisation that we're particularly proud of is the Build Back Better scheme, where households can receive as part of a claim an additional £10,000 towards any repairs on their, their property, particularly to focus on resilience measures. And as part of this, they can have a survey to identify what measures might help. So. I think the message is it's really, really important that we recognise we need to adapt, but we also need to invest in things like flood defences in particular. There's a real reward to investment. So I think it's for every pound spent, you receive about £5 return in terms of reduced costs um, for the risk of flooding. So it's really great to see that and the increased spending that government have made for flooding. Uh, Heike, I'll come to you next. So touching a bit on subsidence as well, so that's something that the British Geological Survey are uh, forecasting is going to increase significantly with climate change. So the areas impacted by subsidence are going to double by 2050 and then double again by 2080. And this is going to put a lot more properties at risk of subsidence. So we're currently looking at about 6% of properties in Great Britain at risk of subsidence, and that's going to increase to about 20% by 2080. So this is millions of more homes at risk of subsidence. And we've already seen what uh, kind of a surge year does for subsidence. And that was last year where we had over 200 million pounds of subsidence losses. Um, and that was off the back of the, the hottest year on record in the UK. But we don't have to look far to see what might be in the future. So if you look across the pond in France, that same um, kind of heat wave caused over two and a half billion pounds kind of equivalent of subsidence losses. So there's kind of significant increases that are going to happen from a subsidence perspective. So kind of understanding these risks is something that insurers can do with precision underwriting. So uh, kind of looking at what the, the risks are today and understanding how that's going to change in the future. But the insurance industry is certainly at the front lines of this and they need to start preparing for this today to kind of stay ahead of these curves in both subsidence and flooding. So. To follow up on that, um, you might have mentioned uh, some of the points there. Um, how is the industry working together to make sure that adequate cover 
is affordably available for the increased risk uh, to property and livelihoods? Well, I think the, the most important thing is to understand the risk at the property level so that uh, an insured isn't paying for the risk at a neighborhood level or at a postcode level. They're only paying for kind of what the risk is at that property. And you can do that through kind of point of quote, kind of precision geospatial data or through something like our uh, LexisNexis MapView um, map visualization tool, which helps insurers understand the risk of uh, kind of windstorm, subsidence, flooding at that specific property level. But collaboration, as you say, is extremely important going forward in the insurance industry. And something that uh, we're launching next year is Precision Claims, uh, which will help the insurance industry understand what claims are resulting from climate change and then get a full picture of uh, how to respond to that. Uh, Glenn, I'll come to you next. Is uh, is there anything to add? And kind of what are you seeing at Woodgate and Clark? How are how is the industry collaborating in terms of in terms of making sure that uh, we are prepared for the increased risk in uh, subsidence and maybe any any other um, effects from climate change? Yeah, um, the collaboration piece is an interesting one. It, it's kind of only just started to happen um, for insurers for a long time. It, it's been known that you can make buildings more um, resilient, especially to flooding, um, uh, but it does cost a little bit more. Uh, and in the past, I think insurers have been quite reticent to to make that payout because the fact is that the insured may decide to change their, their cover holder the following year, and then therefore they wouldn't see the benefits of, of that extra spend. But I think now the, the collaborative approach that Laura uh, mentioned will, will definitely assist matters and um, and. and, and, and essentially help to keep um, claims costs as low as possible. Oh, thank you. I'll stick with you, Glyn. Um mm. We've seen examples, you know, more and more lately of, of wildfires. You know, there's been the recent ones in Maui. There's been uh, uh, various ones in California, uh, Greece, uh, other places like that. Um, with wildfire risk a growing threat, uh, what products are affected? Was it property, agriculture, livestock or energy maybe? Pretty much everything. Um, I think we saw last year in the UK, we had some wildfires on the side of the M25. Um, you know, we saw damage to properties in, in, in very urban areas. Um, that said, the greatest risk, I think, is still um, in rural areas. Um, agriculture is an obvious one that, that, that can be very badly affected, um, certainly by wildfires, crops um, being the obvious example. Something as simple as a, uh, a combine fire, which happened quite frequently, can very quickly get out of control if you've got the right conditions. Um, with them being rural areas, response times from fire brigades, etc., are often quite slow, which means that the, uh, the fire can get a good hold. Um, livestock equally can be affected. Chickens are particularly susceptible to heat stress. Um, it can be fatal, um, but in the sort of less severe cases, it can affect egg production and egg quality. Um, pigs. Um, can be badly affected by heat. Um, the saying is sweating like a pig. Pig don't, pigs don't actually sweat. They lose their heat through their mouths as dogs do. They pant. So if they get hot, they can get sunburnt, which can affect them. Um, so you, you need to make sure that they have the, the, the right environment and they don't overheat. So um, essentially wildfire, going back to wildfire, is, is, is a risk to, to every single industry, every single area of the country if, uh, if, um, if those conditions... Um, are allowed to propagate and Heike I'll come back to you if, if you've got anything on this it's you know we're seeing 
um, warmer summers, hot summers. You know, uh, what is it? This, this year we broke um, we broke the record three days in a row for global uh, average global temperatures. Um, and in the UK, we are seeing more prolonged sum- um, warm summers. So, is that something that insurers need to be uh, you know preparing for more and more each year? Yeah, absolutely. And especially a wildfire, it's not maybe a traditional peril that you would have seen in the UK in the long term. But since 2018, we've seen a significant uptick in uh, kind of wildfires detected from the European uh, Fire Information Service, which is a satellite-based kind of service looking at wildfires. So we've seen a big uptick. And last year, we saw over 150 fires in the UK, which is a very significant kind of number. And as Glenn said, we saw some big ones in in kind of uh, urban areas. So in London, there was the big ones off the back of the the one day at 40 degrees and that's an occurrence that's not going to be uncommon in the future so it's something that needs to be, be prepared for so the london fire brigade had their busiest day since world war ii because of that one day at over 40 degrees but i think um as um, glenn said it's something that's going to impact a lot of different types of insurance and that's something that insurers need to start preparing for and looking at all of their products um kind of across the board So anywhere where they have kind of correlated risk, so if they have policies, no matter what the product is, in a similar location, so if it's in the same building or near the same grassland, they need to understand what that exposure is today before this gets um, worse and worse. Uh, Laura, I'll come to you. We'll we'll come into more of the uh, suburban areas and and, uh, in city centres. With the current... Uh, with the current news stories going on about, around rack and and you know schools around the concrete that's being used and and the and the uh, sustainability of the of the buildings, how does how does the insurance industry help with um, working in with insurance to make sure that buildings and products are more resilient against extreme weather such as flooding or you know if you if you've got an opinion on on any other uh, on t- on other types of extreme weather. I think one of the things that we try to do at Floodry is to work with policymakers to think about what are the adaptation measures that should be thought about and what are the considerations that should go into planning and permissions that go there with those kinds of outcomes and concern around those in mind. I mean, we do really focus on the flood rather than necessarily concrete, but I think it's applicable across the board, thinking about how do we make um, our property stock in the UK resilient to the climate change and, and the impacts of that in the future. Um, I think uh, one of the things in particular is we've got a whole realm of different property resilience measures and we're trying to measure how good they are at providing flood resilience. So we're, we're running a programme which is about flood performance certificates. Um, the idea being that you can quantify the benefit of these resilience measures in the hope that you see that benefit in the property value. And I think recognizing the incentives of these adaptation methods is a really important part of incentivizing planners um, and those who are developing these buildings um, to take the right actions i don't want to put you on the spot but um is it from the readings that you guys are taking already is it encouraging or 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 is there still a long way to go i think the appetite of the industry partners we've worked with um, to understand the benefit of flood resilience measures is really fantastic. Um, We have just launched our new transition plan and as part of developing that 
we engaged modeling firms, developers, um, insurers, um, amongst a huge range of other stakeholders and policymakers um, to get all of their input in terms of how can flood re-support um, the industry in moving forwards um, in terms of resilience. But um, so I think the appetite of everybody to do the right thing is really positive. And I think we are seeing some really positive actions. I think I'm really proud of that flood performance certificate scheme, the, the progress we've made with it. We've got appetite to take that even further. Um, and we're really hopeful that in the future, homes will have flood performance certificates similar to the energy performance certificates they have now that make homeowners aware of what they can do to improve the resilience of their properties. But I do think, um, personally, we should all be more ambitious. There's more we can do. And going back to sort of the cost benefit of investing in flood defences now versus the reduced impact in the future, I think that cost benefit analysis applies across the board with all of these resilience investments. And so we should really recognise that in any sort of decision making around budgets. Lynn, do you, do you agree? Absolutely, yeah. And I think um, it particularly brings it into context when, when you consider the CO2 um, implications of this. Um, I mean, apparently 20% of a building is wrapped up, its CO2 footprint is wrapped up in the materials it's made from and their production. So if you can make a building more resilient, which means that you don't have to replace those materials, you're not, you know, forgo, you know you're not, um, you're not encountering that that same CO2 output over and over again. You know the property state, that the materials stay in situ; they're not having to be replaced. Um, so in terms of the carbon footprint, it, it makes a huge, you know, um, a huge difference if you can if you make the property more more flood resilient. And Heike. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's maybe two things to touch on from a kind of resilience perspective. So in addition to flood, subsidence is going to increase as well. And a big factor in that is trees. So about 70% of subsidence claims are related to a nearby tree. And insurers are already asking their customers, do they have a large tree nearby? But it can be quite hard to tell how tall a tree is working um, kind of in forestry and uh, kind of during my studies. It can be very hard to tell, but there's data available now to insurance companies to actually kind of all the trees in the UK have been mapped so they could proactively be asking their customers and warning them about these large trees near a property, which might be causing subsidence in the future. And particularly around the areas that are going to see increased subsidence risk as the climate changes. But I think as um, Laura says, there might be something that could be done around the educational factor. So we already have for motor insurance policies they have a factor on how much the kind of fraud is causing an increase to the to, to motor insurance maybe something can be done around climate change on that from a property uh, insurance perspective so what is the the kind of the cost of climate change on a, a a home or or business policy and that could really drive home that educational message because almost everybody has an insurance policy but the thing is that the insurance industry will be at the forefront of this because they'll be seeing the increased um, kind of um, the increases in claims because of climate change. So they will always be at the, the forefront of it. But the kind of the the solutions can't come just from the insurance industry. Everybody has to do their part. So I guess it kind of this takes me on to a very quick fire last last uh, question. What would you like to see? Is there, is there one particular policy that you would like to see come out of COP28? Uh, Laura, I'll come to you first. 
I think we've made great advances with flood defence investment across the board, but I think more um, actually has a real benefit. I think it's proven. Um, and I'd like to see us not just holding level in terms of investment to prevent the impacts of climate change, but actually improving the resilience of properties and seeing a reduction in the number of properties at risk of flood. Uh, Glenn, I'll come to you next. Um, yeah, I completely agree with Laura. Um, you know, the outcome, the, climate change is already with us. We're already seeing the effects of climate change. Claim volumes are increasing every year as a result of the the, uh, the, the effects of climate change. So um, essentially we need to see um, greater commitment to um, to making the UK housing property stock more resilient to uh, to adverse weather moving forward. And Heike, I'll come to you for, uh, finally. Yeah, I think it's really important that we stick to the pledges that we've already made in kind of climate change to make sure that we are hitting our net zero targets. It's any delay we have now is going to have huge impacts on the next generation. And that's something that's very important, as I now have a 1.5-year-old child at home. So it's uh, kind of crucial that we don't kind of take steps back and we make sure that we're kind of taking the right steps forward for the future generations. That's very appropriate, seeing as the Prime Minister's latest... Uh, um, announcement delaying the uh, electric vehicle or the scrapping of uh, internal combustion engine vehicles. But anyway, and I, well, I think that's where can everybody, the insurance industry, can really be an educational factor for the government as well, because they will see these kind of claims come in, and it will become a more and more challenging environment to work in. So they can put pressure on the government to make sure that these targets are met, so that it remains a, a, a kind of an industry going forward. Mm. Um. That brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, thank you very much for uh, to Laura, to Heike, and to Glenn for joining us and sharing their insight on how climate change is impacting the industry. Uh, as always, also, thank you for listening to the Insurance Post podcast. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to Insurance Post and following us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and X. Make sure you come back next week, just before Santa Claus comes to town, when content director Jonathan Swift, Insurance Post editor Emma Ann Hughes, and myself will be reviewing the most read Insurance Post stories of 2023. Not to be missed, and I highly recommend listening with a giant tin of chocolate. Until then, this is Scott McGee signing off. The Insurance Post podcast is a product of InfoPro Digital.